today who are, who are here to hear your word, to hear, um, to worship you, Lord. I pray that you would uh, touch their hearts and prepare good soil um, for the, the seeds of, of the word to, to land in and to grow into, into a, good, uh, a good yielding crop, Lord. I pray that you would uh, just give us grace in this, in this whole thing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, <coughs> I forgot to turn off the microphone before I coughed. There is in the back uh, on the table, I, I'm telling you to put your, uh, your baby bottles there, but there's also a, uh, a lot of books. Um, I, I have been bringing books in for folks to read, and, and uh, some of them I've read and I have post-it notes on. There are a few audio books that I've worked through. Um, and, and there are two books that I want to mention in particular. Uh, one is, uh, Raising a Modern Day Knight, which is on being a father. Uh, and I, I highly recommend it to you if you're a dad. There are two copies left, or maybe three. There are three copies left. Um, and, and I got a handful of guys who are already reading it. Um, it's, it's part of what I'd like to do for, for our dads in the, in the years to come as we raise our boys, um, that we might do it you know, in harmony with the scriptures, like raise them to be godly men. Um, and, and the other book I've got sitting back there is a book called uh, Wild at Heart. It was a bestseller a few years ago. I read it last week. Um, I intend to read it again. Uh, there are four copies because Jeremy grabbed the first one. Um, and I, I, if you're planning on being involved in men's groups for this coming year, it's going to be a big part of what we're doing. Um, I cannot recommend it more highly. Um, it is really excellent. Um, I've got more copies coming in the mail next week. Um, so if you if you want a copy and you can't grab one, uh, let me know. There's also an audiobook version sitting there. If you want an audiobook version, it's there. Not everybody reads. Um, let me know if if you want that and it's not sitting there, and I'll order another copy. So that having been said, I'm going to um, kind of jump into Judges. We're working our way through Judges. There are study guides for Judges sitting in the back. It's Joshua Judges Ruth. Um, we're doing Old Testament in the summers, and so for the next few years, we're going to be working through Joshua Judges Ruth. If you want to follow along and study on your own and grow, grab a copy um, and and read along, right? you got a few weeks before it really matters because the first three chapters or two chapters of this book are background, all right? And we're in the first two chapters. Uh, last week, we, we talked about something that I wasn't feeling well, and I don't think I presented it as well as I should have. Uh, we talked about the story of Othniel. Um, Judges is the story of the, the – let me – before I jump into that. Um, Judges is the story of the people in the land, right? The, the people have left through the Exodus. They have conquered the land in Joshua and in the very beginning of this book. And then they set down roots, and God is their king. And the problem with God being their king is they don't have somebody to rally the troops, so – um, God would send leaders when they needed them, um, people who would judge court cases in the case of Deborah uh, or, or lead the people in battle or do other things. And so we have, we have um, just the story of the 500-year stretch between the end of Joshua and the beginning of uh, Samuel. Got it? So that is the book we're looking at. And it is the story of decline. Everybody starts great, Right? Like the story starts well, and it is a downward spiral all the way through. It starts with Othniel, who is the first judge, and when you get to the last judge, it's Samson, and Samson is awful. Right? He is the least effective, you know, but most gifted judge in the whole book, and he fails and fails and fails. And the, the general message here is people, we start out good with good intentions and, and driving towards good things, and we tend to do worse and worse as we go, Right? 
I think anybody who has ever started a diet or exercise regimen can probably attest to this, right? You start out with good intentions, and by the end, you're not doing so well. Um, and so, like, like, the introduction to this book is that pattern in microcosm, where the conquest starts well, and then it gets worse and worse and worse, and they begin to compromise, and they don't follow God's directions, and they fail, and they retreat, and they um, compromise, and in the end, they... They, um, they end up with an imperfect conquest. And it's perfect in the beginning and just slowly, you know, gets worse and worse. And it starts in the southern tribes and it goes to the north. I have it backwards, north to south, it's south to north. And the southern tribe, Judah, does the best. And then they do worse and worse and worse all the way up to the north. And, and anyway, last week we talked about three people. Caleb, who was a dad, right? Happy Father's Day. Um, Caleb was promised, he was one of the two spies that went into the promised land, and he was a courageous, tough guy. He's the guy who came back from the promised land with the other spies um, when Moses sent spies out, and Caleb said, God's given it to us, let's go get them, let's fight. And all the other spies, except for Joshua, who also was faithful, all the other spies said, nope, we can't take them, they're too tough. Right? And so they, they ended up staying in the desert for another 40 years, and it was a disaster. But Caleb shows up to get what he was promised. God said, you're faithful, you get this land. And they conquered the land except for a city. And um, Caleb offers his daughter, Aksa, my Hebrew is awful, um, to be wed to any man who could conquer this particular tough nut-to-crack city. And Othniel steps up, and he has this heroic great warrior and he goes out and he fights his battle and he wins and he wins the heart of his wife and his wife like secures all kinds of additional blessing and it is this perfect story of an action hero man and the beautiful woman he won and you know the the blessings that god gave them right and that is that is it's a good story right and in fact actually the stories we like the most you know it being father's day i'm going to dip into this right like the stories that that we tend to like you know, we tend to be inspired by these things, right? Like these heroic men who do great deeds. Um, Dale Morey over here, he and I were watching Band of Brothers bit by bit. And the stories of, you know, these men who go out and, you know, conquer Europe, basically. Take it, take it back from the Nazis. And, you know, these heroic acts and these, these brave men who went out and did the right thing despite difficulty. We're, we're inspired by that, right? Um, we're inspired by the, the knight who rescues the princess from the castle kind of thing. I mean, these are inspirational for us. And this is the story of Othniel and Aksa. Um, after that, we dive into the rest of the story. And so we have this perfect thing that happens, right? This, this hero and his, the woman he wins and all this other stuff. And then we sort of go in this downward spiral because the rest of Judges, um, this conquest story is less than perfect. Um, and Judah went with Simeon. In the very beginning of the book, we talked about the nation of Simeon, the, the people of Simeon, how they made a treaty with Judah to help them fight their battle for them. And they weren't supposed to do it. They weren't supposed to make the treaty. And so, like, we see this disobedience, but it actually works out okay. Um, but it is the beginning of disobedience, the beginning of the failure we see on the part of the Jewish people. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephthah. Um, Zephath, uh, devoted it to destruction. So they, so the name of the city was called Horma. So they went and they fought this battle and they devoted it to destruction, meaning that everything that was there, like they didn't save anything. They wiped it out, right? Um, and the idea is every time the Jewish people compromise, it comes back to bite them later. Got it? 
There's a truth in that that applies to our lives. Every time we compromise, it bites us later. Isn't it true? And when we say, oh, well, this will be okay this one time, and then later on we come back and we say, man, I really shouldn't have done that. Man, I wish I had been a little more careful. I wish I had been smarter then. I wish I... Anyway, we'll get back to that in more depth. But they, they reach this city. They devote it to destruction. They wipe it out. And um, Judah was also captured, also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkan with its territory and Ekron with its territory. Um, and the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. So they're fighting their way through the hill country, and they beat everyone they come across. And this actually shouldn't be a surprise, because God told them, you're going to beat everybody that you come across, because I've given these people to you. This is your land. All you have to do is take it. It is a battle that is won before they show up. All they have to do is be faithful and obedient um, and and courageous enough to follow the directions, right? And they're guaranteed a victory. And they win victory after victory after victory. And, and it goes well. But, and here's where it gets ugly, he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had iron chariots. Now, there's kind of iron chariots. We don't think much of that. Um, this is a military technological advantage, right? I, I read a great book uh, years ago about um, like alternate history where the, the South wins the Civil War because they somehow managed to get AK-47s. And it becomes this like, one-sided thing where like guys with muskets can't fight guys with machine guns, and they lose. And that's roughly like what we're talking about here. The Israelites show up. They're, they're basically infantry, and these chariots are tough, and they don't beat them. But there's a weird thing there, right? The Lord was with Judah when they took possession of the hill country, but they couldn't drive out the inhabitants of the plain. What the heck happened? Did God, like, get negated by chariots? Nope, God can't fight a chariot. That doesn't seem very likely, actually, because if you jump back into the Exodus, where the people escape from the Promised Land, the Egyptians come riding out in chariots, and God kills them all, right? God fights on their behalf. It's unlikely these guys couldn't take the guys in the valley with chariots. Um, by the way, the reason the chariots matter in the valley, in the plains, is because you can't ride a chariot on rocky ground. Make sense? Like the, you can't go up into the hills and ride around a chariot. So can God not fight chariots in the plain? No. One of three things happens, and these guys aren't bragging about it. Right? Anybody ever screwed up really big and then not bragged about it later? <laughs> <clears throat> it's easy to not want folks to know when you mess up at all, right? We don't wear it as a badge of honor. And in the ancient world, mentioning that you did not win a battle or that it didn't go well um, is pretty uncommon. Like people would just leave it out of battle reports. It's included here um, that they lost. And it's not that God couldn't beat the chariots. And in fact, actually, um, if you go to look at Joshua, we're not going to read it. Well, I'm not going to read it right now. Joshua 17 has this great account where, like, the Israelites are going to go fight Canaanites, and they've got chariots, and there's a lot more Canaanites. And Joshua says, you know what? God's handed them over to us, even though there's a lot of them, and they've got iron chariots. We're going to beat them anyway because, because we've got God on our side. Okay. Stop texting me. I don't, I don't even know how to fix that. It'll happen occasionally, apparently. Um, so, so... Um, like, we know they can beat chariots. We know they can beat technological advantage. We see it in uh, Jericho, right? What did Jericho have? A wall. A wall big enough to race chariots around, 
right? You get up on top of it, and it's hard. that's a hard thing to beat. How did they beat it? They marched around and prayed and worshipped, and God knocked the walls down. Technology is not a problem for God. Um, in reality, these guys, they, they should have won this, but they didn't. There's one of three possibilities. Either they got there and they said, man, that looks like too much work. Anybody ever done that? God expects this of me, but man, that looks like too much work. Um, they may have um, gone out there and said, there's no way we can beat those guys. We're not going to go fight, right? They may have lost their nerve, and that's not unusual. It's not unusual at all when you look at the Old Testament. The, the Hebrew people would frequently come across folks to fight, and they'd be like, I don't, I don't, think, I, I don't think we can beat them, right? I don't think that God is going to be with us, and so we're not even going to go fight. So you have the possibility that they were resting on their laurels. We got enough land. We don't need to do that. Um, the possibility that they didn't trust God enough to go and fight. And then the other possibility is that they went and did it their own way, or they went and did it without faith. Because in reality, we have to trust God. It's not just going through the motions. We have to trust God when we go out and do his work because he's going to take care of us because we trust in him. But that's a part of the equation. So they may have gone out and just not trusted God. They may have not had faith, and they may have lost as a result. We don't know. The text doesn't say these guys ain't bragging about their failure. Um, but this is important. This is the first military defeat of the conquest, right? We're going to come back to it. <coughs> and Hebron was given to Caleb, <clears throat> as Moses had said, and he drove out. So we're flashing back to Caleb, right? And we're, something bad happened. But remember all this awesome stuff we did? Um, as Moses had said, he drove out from the, from the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. By the way, in the last section, it talked about Jerusalem being beaten. Um, the reason that that is, is Jerusalem was essentially two cities at the time, right? There was a city with a small wall, and there was a city on a hill with a big wall. And the city on the hill, the inner fortress it's called, was difficult to beat. And it's likely they beat the outer fortress and just kept going. Said, so, all right, well, we'll leave them there. We'll keep going. And those guys end up being a pain in the neck. And they become a pain in the neck that stays a pain in the neck for a while until David finally comes around and beats them like, 550-some-odd years later, right? Like, so they jumped over it, and these guys were a pain for ages until, like, until somebody finally took care of it. Um, there's a principle there, by the way. When we ignore problems now, they tend to be bigger problems later. Does that make sense? My daughter and I are fighting quite a bit right now because she wants everything, and I've spoiled her a bit. Now, I can fight with that, or I can continue to spoil her. How big of a problem is that going to be when she's 20? Right? It ain't going to get smaller. Um, and so it is with, with our lives, with, the, with, the, you know, with God's people in the text. Their problems got bigger when they ignored them. So the, excuse me, but the people of Benjamin did not drive out in Jerusalem. Uh, so the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day, meaning to the point where this book was actually written. Um, not to today. They aren't there now. Um, but the house of Joseph went up against Bethel. So this is another segment of this conquest. And the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. So they went to Bethel. They looked. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city. And they said to him, please show us the way into the city. And we will uh, deal kindly with you. 
And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, and they let the man and his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city that is now called Luz. So he moves the city elsewhere. Um, That is the name of the city to this day. Now, that sounds kind of cool, right? Wouldn't you beat an enemy by being smart? Right? What were they told to do? Were they told to make agreements with the people of the land? Nope. Were they told to win by trickery? No. They were told to go and fight the enemy and win. And these guys, instead of doing what they were supposed to do, they compromised. They accomplished something great, but they accomplished it without obeying God. All right, so we've kind of worked through the text. I've done a very quick overview of the text today because there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about. Um, as we kind of dive into, into the various themes of the book, like be aware um, the recurring like story here is about people that they didn't conquer who become a problem later. Later on, some of these cities we've mentioned are going to come around and we're going to see the Jewish people fighting with them. The judges are going to be sent out to fight against these cities that they didn't conquer in the beginning. Had they done so, it wouldn't be a problem later. Um, but how do we apply this to us? Because honestly, it's unlikely that God is ever going to send me out to conquer Loma, right? Or Canada, Anybody expecting, you know, God gave me a message to go and beat Canada. You know, me and Mark are going to do it. It'll be enough. Um, it was a Canada joke. Um, but, but in reality, God doesn't send us out to fight fights the way it happened in the Old Testament. Because they lived under one covenant, and we live under another, right? Their agreement with God was about the works they did and the fights they got into and, and obedience in these ways. Our covenant with God We live under the new covenant. Jesus Christ, God's son, came. He obeyed the old covenant perfectly. He died for our sins. He, you know, was crucified, bled for us, took all of the punishment we deserved on himself, and we are forgiven because of it. And we're given new directions in life, right? We're given a new calling, a new set of, like, understanding for the law. Like, all of this stuff is new. We're under this new covenant. And whereas we do not fight enemies with swords we do not fight enemies with shields we do not fight enemies with with chariots of iron we fight the world we fight we fight satan honestly is a big part of this right we fight our own selves day in and day out um i quit i quit about three quarters of the major biggest sins of my life about 11 years ago and and day in and day out in the beginning of that i was felt like i was wrestling with myself anybody ever feel that way where you wake up in the morning and you're like, hey, I should get up and spend some time like praying and, and reading. And man, this bed is comfortable. And there's this part of yourself you find yourself wrestling with. That's who we're fighting with. We're fighting with, with a whole different set of enemies than what these guys were fighting with. Um, you will not become right by God by picking up your rifle and fighting the enemy. Got it? There's no way to do it. Because the enemy is in you, and the enemy is invisible and whispering in your ear. The enemy is, is dragging you down. Like, this is a different enemy. Um, the enemy isn't in Congress, by the way, no matter what people tell you. It's not. It's, it's a lie. Um, the battles we fight, again, are with our flesh, with our sin, um, with Satan, and also with the fallen world where we, like, fight against the fall in the creation. Anybody lost crops to hail? Anybody had to trust God through that? This is a fight we fight, right? Can't fight that fight with a shotgun. 
You fight that fight by trusting God and following him. Now, how do we fail? Well, look, ideal, the ideal version we see is Jesus. Jesus is our Othniel, right? Jesus wins a great victory. Jesus claims his bride, the church. Jesus, like, brings blessing to his people that come after him, his, his spiritual descendants. Like, we, we have this Othniel that we compare ourselves to. And for the most part, we stand in the place of the Jewish people that are failing to conquer the, the, the promised land. And I'm here, too, Okay. Um, we fight our fights by being, pa- or we lose our fights by being passive. A lot of times, um, we see what God calls us to do, and we just don't want to deal with it. Um, men, this is us, right? This is Adam's first sin. Adam's first sin was he stood there, listened to his wife be tempted by Satan, and he didn't say anything. And he knew better. He didn't step in and fight. Like he let it happen. And then afterward, Eve turns around, she eats the apple, she turns around and gives it to Adam, who's standing right there with her, and he eats it too. He's passive. Men, like, we're called not to be passive. How do we not be passive? Well, fighting our passivity is overcoming our own sin, right? It's the sin that we think, oh, well, it's not that bad. Um, it's, it's the sin of, you know, visiting those websites. You know the ones I'm talking about, right? Um, we're pretty sure nobody else knows. We'd hate for the world to figure it out, but it's there. But we can ignore it. It's the sin of, of um, compromising in our role as fathers. This is Father's Day. For Mother's Day, we, we celebrate moms and we cherish them. For Father's Day, I'm going to give you a challenge because I think a man would rather be told, go out and win a battle, right? I think a man would rather be told to do something great than be told that he's cherished. Isn't it true? Um, and so I'm going to tell you, men, the battle you have to win is in your own families. With your kids. I'm not negating you single people. I'm coming back to you in a minute. Um, but men, there's a difference between being a father and just fathering children, right? A father points his children to God. A father loves his wife and protects her and leads her spiritually, right? That's what a father does. Um, it's easy to be passive. Well, you know, somebody else will take care of the spiritual stuff. I'm going to do the things that I like. Um, man, I would love to spend some time with the kids, but, man, there's a great football game on, right? Or is it, what are we in right now? It's not, it's baseball. <laughs> and the Cubs are doing well this year, finally. I can't miss that. It's not going to happen for another hundred years. <laughs> the kids will be there tomorrow, but that's passivity. That's ignoring the job that we're given. Like, um, and dad's like, that job you're given, by the way, the first commandment in the first table of the law is love God more than anything else. The first commandment in the part that deals with people is honor mom and dad, right? Because for the first 10 years of a child's life, 13 years of a child's life, men, you stand in the place of God. And they see God when they see you. You know, they see your integrity. They see your leadership. They see your holiness. And they come to know God. And that's why actually absent dads, tend to have kids who, you know, think God is out there, but they, you know, he doesn't really care that much. Um, or, or dads who are abusive and heavy-handed tend to, like, raise children who think, well, God just hates me anyway. He's just looking to squish me. 
mean, I'm not making this up. This is a real thing. Like, so passivity and failing to take our job seriously, take following Christ seriously, take growing to be like Jesus seriously, ignoring our sin, ignoring our, our calling to grow spiritually, all of those things is passivity. That's seeing the chariots down there and saying, man, but I've done so much and I'm pretty awesome already. And there's a game on, you know, we'll leave those guys. It'll be our, that's future Eric's problem, as Michael is like, says to me often, right? I feel sorry for future Eric or for my grandkids. Um, we fight our own way is another way this happens. We make deals. Instead of obeying the scripture, instead of being men after God's own heart and like walking in Jesus' steps, we fight battles our own ways. I see... Um, Oftentimes, I've years and years, and I've done this too. And so, like, I'm going to say this as a man. Instead of I see, I'm going to say I sometimes, instead of leading my family by example and teaching and loving them like Jesus, there are days that I yell to get them to do what I want. Right? Is that how God commands me to act? No, I don't think so. You know, I think there are times to yell, but it's not the primary job. Um, you cannot win God's battle your way. Um, you can't make treaties with the enemy. You can't say, well, I can continue to live in this sin underneath the barrel that nobody sees, the one that I indulge in out in the garage. Um, nobody else knows, and it's okay. That's, you can't make that deal. Um, we see this in relation to, in relation to evil, honestly. Um, the Bible talks over and over again about Satan, Right? And we, we don't like to talk about it because it's, we're in a modern era. You know, we don't talk about the devil. We talk about all kinds of other things. But in reality, you read Paul's writings, and Paul talks about wrestling with evil. He talks about putting on the arm, armor of God, right? Um, why would he say that if we don't face a spiritual battle? Why would he say our fight isn't against the, you know, the, this world. It's against the powers and principalities, this other world, right? We're not fighting our neighbor. We're fighting Satan. And, like, there are times when we wake up and our flesh is inflamed and we say, I'm just going to keep sleeping. I'm going to keep looking at these pictures. I'm going to keep not doing my job as a father, as a husband, as a neighbor, as a man of God. Like, I'm going to continue to ignore that. And in reality, what we're doing is we're allowing, like, the enemy to remind us of our flesh. Hey, don't bother. Or we dump on ourselves. Oh, I'm the worst man ever. And we forget the fact that Jesus died for us and made us into new creations. Like, we, we ignore, we fight our own way. Um, we allow fear to dominate us. The hardest thing, this is my biggest struggle, right? I hate, hate confronting people. And I hate calling things out. And I hate, um, I hate saying things that are controversial. I hate this stuff. I hate doing it. Um, even as I'm talking right now, there's a part of me that's a little anxious, right? In reality, we're not called to be that. We're called to courageously face the enemies that are in front of us. Not the neighbor, right? Not Canadians. Not, you know, Muslims. Not, you know, anybody else. We fight against our own flesh, our own desire to sin, our own desire to, like, rebel against God. And we fight against Satan. Because he's there and he's real. Um, we lack faith in God's ability to act. Let's see, I got passivity. I got fighting our own way. We allow fear to dominate us. We lack faith in God's ability to act because there are folks I talk to, and I've done this too, and I'll say it again. I, man, I know that God said I could overcome this, but I'm pretty sure I can't, so I'm going to just soak in it, right? I will never win this battle, so what's the point of trying? Or um, I, when Jess and I first met, and I'm not 
didn't intend to stand up here and talk about money, but I'm going to use as an example. Jess came into our marriage and said, I was raised to tithe. That's what we're going to do. And I said, we can't afford that. And she said, well, then you do the budgeting because if I'm doing it, we're giving, we're giving to God. That's what we're doing. That's how we're going to live. And, and, you know, I didn't trust that God would take care of us. Um, but my wife did, and I learned from her, and that's a great blessing in my life. Um, but in reality, like, we sometimes lack faith that God will take care of us, that he'll act on our behalf. Um, and sometimes our own pride and blindness, and this is actually an underlying thing. It's not that big a deal, right? Well, you know, God didn't care that much about my about my sex life. God doesn't care that much about my thought life. God doesn't care that much if I drink too much. God doesn't care that much if I um, waste my money. God doesn't care that much if I don't put that much effort into raising my kids as God's people. Like, God doesn't care that much. But in reality, that's blindness to the reality of who God is. God calls us to greater things, right? God calls us to fight the good fight every day, um, to face off against our own weakness, against our own flesh, against um, temptations, against all of this stuff. We're called to do this. We're called to, to not be passive, to not be unsure, um, and it's hard. And the less we work on them, the more they'll plague us. Isn't it the truth? Um, actually, we talked about Psalm 1. I've been reading Psalm 1 for almost three weeks now, over and over and over again. I did a sermon on Psalm 1 a few weeks ago, like, where we talk about the, you know, blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of the wicked, does not walk in the way of sinner, or in the counsel of the wicked, walk in the way of sinner, or sit in the, you know, sit in the presence of, of wicked men, right? Like, like, sometimes we think, well, I'll hang out here for a little while, but in reality, it goes from hanging out here for a little while to living that life to setting up shop there, right? And in reality, God calls us to something more, um, to something better. Um, the more we give in on little things, the more they'll turn into big things, right? Um, I never meant to have sins in my life get huge. They started out little, and eventually they became things that, that almost killed me, right? And I think there are folks in this room who are like this. I think there are folks in this room who struggle with this who have these secret sins they keep hidden away. And you think, how did that get so big? But I just can't tell anyone because if anybody knows, well, heck, I'd hate for people to know who I really am, right? Um, for years I worked in a church and I had all this like sin in my life and I kept it hidden. And every day I would walk into my boss's office, the pastor, and I would say, you know what, I should talk to him about my struggles. And I thought, if I do that, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my family. Um, everybody's going to know I'm a fake. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. I had all these reasons not to do it, and I suffered in silence, right? Um, that's not the fight we're called to fight. We're called to stand up and be God's people. Be brave in facing off against it. If you let it go, it'll turn into anxiety. It'll turn into depression. It'll turn into you isolating from your family. It'll turn into your family getting out of control. It'll turn into your life getting out of control, and eventually you'll soak in a place where you're like, the precursor of hell, honestly, because you're separated from God by your own actions and your own choices. Um, my challenge for you men today, for everyone today, is to stand up and stand up and fight. Um, not fight with your rifle, not fight with, you know, pushing the, your neighbor around because it makes you feel like a big man. Not fight by, you know, any of that other stuff. Fight your flesh. Fight Satan. 
Um, we do this in prayer, right? Praying is the hardest thing in the world. Isn't it the truth? I really didn't get an amen for that. How hard is it to wake up in the morning and pray? How hard is it to sit down for an hour and talk to God? Isn't it difficult? How hard is that? Um, But prayer is part of how we do it because ultimately we do not win on our own. We win because Jesus Christ died for us and we have his authority and we have God's, like, like blessing on us. Um, We sit in the word, we study it, we know it, and it changes us. Um, We come across stuff and we say, man, that's hard, but I need to apply this. Um, We lean on our brothers um, and our sisters Uh, Paul says that we're supposed to confess our sins to one another. It wasn't until I learned to talk to other people about my sin and about my struggle and about my failures and shortcoming that I began to overcome that stuff. Um, And there are guys sitting in this room, there are, who have things they've never told anyone. And my challenge for you guys, men, dads, non-dads, my challenge for you is to to stand up and say it. Find... Find someone else to sit down and talk with and say, this is where I'm struggling. Not because we need a support group, right? Um, but because confession is hard. You've got to slay a part of you that controls you, your pride and your, your flesh. Um, but this is what we're called to do. We're called to something better, to fight against it and not be passive in it. Um, and to trust in God's promises. Um, this is the hardest, hardest one maybe. Now, prayer is the hardest one, but confessing is also pretty hard. They're all hard. Um, but trusting in God's promises means knowing that I'm a new creation in Christ, right? I don't have to earn my salvation. I don't have to strive to be a better man by my own efforts. I am, in Christ, a new creation. I'm struggling against my flesh, but it's already true that I'm a new creation. I might be fearful, but in reality, that fear is based on not God's promises. It's based on my assumptions. I trust in God's promise that I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to be terrified of the things that are to come. Um, I'm going to close with prayer, but my challenge for you today, this is actually for everyone, but I'm focusing on on dads in particular, men in general, right? My challenge for you today is um, to ask yourself, am I fighting or am am I hiding out? Are the iron chariots too much for me to face, right? Do I not trust Jesus enough to fight the fight that he's given me? Um. Am I too afraid of folks knowing that I'm kind of a poser in my walk with God to, like, actually confess that I'm a poser in my walk with God? Like, where are you at? And if you find that you're there, like, get up and do something about it. Um, We're going to close in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with every, every person in this room, but particularly, Lord, I pray that you would be with the men in this room. Um, help us to resist passivity. Help us to... Um, help us to fight the fights that Jesus prepared us for. Help us to put on the armor of God and, and overcome our own shortcomings. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to strive toward, toward Christ-likeness, toward loving our neighbor even when we don't want to, toward being holy even when, you know, man, I, it would be so much more fun to not be that way. Help us to become people who are, who are like your son. Um, help us to... to not rest in it. And Lord God, anybody who's prompted or, or pricked by this talk today, by what I've, I've said, Lord, I pray that you wouldn't let it end there, that you would um, encourage these, these folks to stand up and to, to be different, um, not to compromise and allow brokenness and the world to overcome them. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
Again, there are books in the back. 